We have been in our series, uh, within the series, as Pastor calls it. Uh, he's been walking through the book of Galatians, and, and now we are at the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, we are going to continue that this morning. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithful gentleness, and self-control. This morning we are going to talk about uh, the fruit of goodness. You know, one of the most beautiful qualities I think that a person can have in his or her life is kindness. And last week we heard the message about kindness the fruit of kindness. This week, I think uh, we have what could be called the twin fruit, all right? And that's the fruit of goodness. Uh, kindness and goodness go hand in hand. And, and there's so much uh, that, that uh, are uh, the same about kindness and goodness. Uh, they're both inner virtues that express themselves outwardly toward others. We find kindness and goodness both as attributes of God. We have sung our praises this morning about the goodness of God and how God is a good, good God. And that is true. This morning you see that I've left room there for notes. I don't know if I've left you enough room. I don't know if I left you way too much room. All right? But the first thing that we need to know is, is that God is good. We serve a good God. Our God is good. Psalm 105 says, For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon your name. We serve a good God. Our God is good. Isn't that a blessing? That's encouraging to us that we serve a good God. He's not only a good God. Second thing is, but he is a, a, a God that is good to all. We heard that in the first two verses there. There are more verses. Psalm, Psalmist in, in 145.9 says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. You know, someone has said that patience is a suffering love. Kindness is a compassionate love. And goodness is a ministering love is a ministering love. So what is goodness? I think this morning as we look at uh, God's Word and look at some scriptures there, uh, a definition that we could give goodness this morning may be that goodness is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason. I believe that is goodness. And I think we'll see that this morning in some scripture. You've heard the saying that God is good all the time and all the time 
God is good. But all of us are not. You see, we're sinners, aren't we? We're sinners. And the question we may have is how do we become good? How do we become good? If the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, how do we produce that goodness? And if we can bear such fruit, what will it look like? One of those questions I can answer immediately, and that, that, that's how do we produce the fruit of goodness? We don't. See, we don't produce the fruit of goodness. You see, it's not our fruit. It's the Holy Spirit's fruit, right? The Holy Spirit produces that fruit within us. I believe the pastor explained that back on some of the other fruit. And it's the same for kindness and, and peace and joy and, 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 the, and the, the fruits that are yet to come. But as we live and as we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, He develops the fruit within us. It is our job to bear the fruit. And the most important fruit that we will bear is the fruit of the Spirit. That reminds me of a of a story that I'd heard uh, about a couple, husband and a wife was driving uh, through Cape Cod area, I believe, and, and, and they were, they were uh, enjoying all of the, the, the cult, cultivation and the crops and all that is in that area through there. And, 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 and they had come up on a field, uh, husband noticed there's a field of blueberries. And so he pulled the car over real quick and he just... He, he, they both got out and they made their way into the field and they just began to fill themselves with these blueberries. And, and they were enjoying themselves and the blueberries were wonderful. And the husband happened to look back at the car and he noticed the rear car door was open. And he noticed there was a gentleman sitting in the back seat. And, 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 and the old man just, he'd done cut the cantaloupe in half and peeled some of it and cut him a slice and he was just eating his cantaloupe. The husband said, hey, that's my cantaloupe. Put that back. The old gentleman, he just swallowed the mouthful he had and he nodded toward the field and he said, them's my blueberries. <laughs> you know, it reminded me that we forget whose fruit it is. It's not our fruit. Matter of fact, it's really not for us. The fruit that he develops within us is for others. We're to share that with others in how we live. So how do we know what is good? We, we associate goodness with good. You know, that word good, we use like the word love a lot of times. We use it in so many different ways. We love this. We love that. Uh, this was good. That was good. And uh, wife and I took a vacation not long ago, and, and I can just go on and on and on about all that was good, uh, from the hamburgers to the scenery to, the, to, the, to, the, <laughs> to everything, right? It was good. We use it in so many different ways. But, but in our society... Humanly speaking here, when we say something is good or that someone is good, we mean that that person pleases me, pleases us, satisfies us, brings us happiness. You know, I'm thinking about God when he's, he, he created this, 
this earth and this world and after every day of, of creating, he would look at what he had created and he would say one thing. What was that? It was good, wasn't it? It's good. It's good. What did that mean? I think it meant that it pleased him. It pleased him. It satisfied him. So that if we say someone is good, maybe that someone is somebody that pleases God. But as we look and as we, we, we live here and we look at things that are good and we're kind of uh, 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 in, in, in our own human race, right in the center of our own world, our own human world, our own universe, and, and, and what we say is good is good. You know, it, 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 in our world today, in our society, I believe that what we say is good, we leave very little room, if any room at all, for God and His opinion. We say it's good, and that means it's good. You see, it's us that sets the standard of what is good in this world. But that's not the way it is for the Christ follower. It's not the way it should be for the Christ follower. You see, God sets the standards of goodness for His children. It's by His standards. His standards are revealed to us here in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God's standards of goodness implies what is morally right what is helpful, what is charitable. It's an unselfish concern for the welfare of others. Goodness is, is a selfless spirit that, that is always mindful of the needs and the interests of others. It has to do with doing what is right for the right reason. You see, the good person is one who's honorable, who is pleasing to God. The good person, the good disciple, seeks, follows, and does what he sees in the life and in the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. You see, if we were to go back to our original text uh, before this, if we go back to where, where Paul uh, got into chapter 5 there, uh, verse 19, maybe through 21, just before uh, he lists the fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists and he warns us not to gratify the lust of the flesh. And in that, Paul clearly states what that is. Galatians 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, faction, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He said, I am warning you as I've warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things, those who live constantly in this way, those who live and make it a lifestyle of living this way, he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean those who, who may have uh, been there at some point in some time. We all have sinned and we've fallen short of God's standards, right? 
But he said, those who do such things, those who make it a habit, those who live this way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, the goodness is direct opposite of these things that he lists here. It's a direct opposite of these, these evils. It's what the Bible calls it, evils. These vices that we have in our life. The good person, listen, by the grace of God, overcomes such evils. We overcome these evils by the grace of God. The good person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is fulfilling part of that Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, verse 18. And he says, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. You see, the good person is morally upright in character and in action. So goodness is doing what's right for the right reason. You see, Jesus was our demonstration of goodness, wasn't he? During the past few weeks and in the weeks to come, we'll be reminded again and again that our model, that our example is Jesus. When we want perfect love, we look to Jesus. When we want joy and peace, we look to Jesus. And it's the same for goodness. When we want goodness, we look to Jesus. You know, one thing we must not do is we must not make the mistake of thinking that good came naturally for Jesus. That it came easy for Jesus. You see... Jesus lived in the flesh, just as you and I live in the flesh. Now, I think we make that mistake many times. Oh, yeah, but he was, that was Jesus. Yeah, Jesus could do it. Jesus lived in the flesh, just like you and I lived in the flesh. And Satan tempted him over and over and over again. Satan led him into the desert for one purpose, and that was to tempt him. Jesus went so that he could overcome these temptations and give us an example. You know, I think you and I fall to temptation each and every day, each and every week. We fall to temptation. And I think Satan uses temptation in our life to cause us to get distracted, to get focused on other things, and we lose the sight of goodness. Who we are called to be. Satan is still using these tactics. He's still using these temptations today. Why is he still using them today? Because they work. Thank you. They work. That's why. Absolutely, they work. Satan, Satan knows exactly what he's doing. Today, we're going to look at some of these temptations. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at some of these temptations. They're temptations, I think, that we deal with, and I think they're temptations that, that cause us to get off, uh, get off the, the road. We get off track. So the first temptation that we're going to see is the temptation of selfishness. Chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, look, it says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. 
Not a big temptation, we'd say. Ah. You're the son of God, just turn these stones to bread. Now here's the age-old struggle between selfishness and love. All right? That, that's, that's, that's what it is. Uh, started at the throne of God. It started in the Garden of Eden. Continues today. Today's culture tells us that it's to focus on yourself. You deserve to have plenty of food. You deserve to have nice clothing. You deserve to live in a nice home, drive a nice automobile. If you're able to live in comfort, then you're a success. That's what you need to strive for. You ought to be proud of yourself. That's what we hear all of the time. Look out for number one. Just take care of yourself. That's what Satan was doing here. That's what Satan was doing to Jesus. Trying to get him to focus on himself. You see, he, he tempts Jesus to turn these stones into bread. So you've got to understand that Satan will always tempt you and I. He'll tempt us in our area of weakness. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. All of these temptations are coming right toward the end of those 40 days of temptation. 40 days in the desert. Jesus had been fasting 40 days. No food. No drink. One mission. One focus. He was extremely hungry. It would have been easy for Jesus to do exactly what the devil suggested. What Satan was trying to do was to get Jesus to be concerned about satisfying him and his needs. Make things easy for yourself. Take the easy way out, Jesus. Just speak it and those stones would become bread. Think about that. If Jesus would have done that, if he would have satisfied his hunger, he could have got right back to his mission. But his mission would have already been flawed, wouldn't it? Jesus would have been concerned about his own self. He would have never got to the point where he was willing to say and pray out, God, not my will, but thy will be done. Very important that Jesus got to that point. He was hungry. He was weakened. He desired to eat. Satan lied to him. If your father really loved you, he wouldn't have left you out here and hungry and given you nothing to eat. Puts those thoughts in our heads. But Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. If he wouldn't have done that, he certainly wouldn't have been willing to pay the price for your sin and my sin as well. He'd have never gone to the cross for you and me. You see, if Jesus would have been concerned about himself and about his own needs, he would have never gotten around to being concerned for you and me. But Jesus came to do the will of his Father. We see it in John 6, 38. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the Father, but the will of 
the one who sent me. See, he knew that the most important thing was not himself. The most important thing was you and I was on his mind. The most important thing was being obedient to the Father. You see, Jesus, Jesus looked at Satan and he told him, It is written, the man does not live. On bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus did the right thing. At the right time for the right reason. See, Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Jesus did the right thing for the right reason. Second temptation that we see is the temptation of compromise. Look there in verses 5 through 7. The devil led him up on a high place, and he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him that I will give you all of their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. That's, that's a pretty frightening verse. As I read that and as I think about that, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it has all been given to me. You ever thought about the things that we want and that we desire of this world? Who owns it? Satan owns it. We forget who owns these things. We forget who's the ruler of this world. The things of this world. The things of this world. The things of this world. You got to be careful. I, I want to think that, that, that Satan... He got to that part there and he says, I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, I'll give it all to you. <laughs> I think he just kind of sped right through that like a used car salesman. If you worship me, you know, it's a good car, but it's got this little problem, that problem, but it's a good car. If you just worship me, you know, it'll all be yours. You can have it. Just think about that. And, and sometimes that's the way we get in our own minds. It's the way that we get when we want something. We've got to be careful. You know what we worship? We serve. Satan doesn't say that there, but that's a fact. Worship and service go hand in hand like love and marriage. What you serve, you worship. What you worship, you'll serve. Satan's looking at Jesus and he says, I've got control over this whole world. They're serving me. So let's make a deal. Jesus, if you just set your standards down a little bit, if you just lower your bar just a little bit, just compromise on this one thing with me, it can all be yours. Listen, the devil knows one of the ways into our minds is to get us just to compromise. And it starts real small. Very, very small compromise. 
to bend our will little by little so that the distinction between what, what one should prefer or what one does prefer, prefer and what one ought to stand firm on, it starts to become blurry in our mind. Satan does it very slow, very slow. You and I both know from personal experiences that it is hard to stand firm on biblical principles. It's not easy to stand firm in a world where, where the definition of fun is not always, uh, it doesn't always go hand in hand with the principles that you and I as Christ followers, as children of God, are called to uphold. And we'll start very small and we'll begin to compromise. I want you to know I'm here this morning to encourage you to keep guard on your faith. Do not slip back into those, those compromising situations uh, for the sake of making others feel comfortable. We don't need to do that. Many times that's where it happens. It's what others may think of us. We don't want others to feel uncomfortable. So we compromise our faith. We compromise You know, this week, this month, maybe today, your faith is going to challenge you. It's going to challenge you to step forward in your faith, not backwards, but step forward. And I challenge you to stand firm in your faith. I challenge you to put on that full armor of God so that when the day of evil does come, that you'll be able to stand. Stand your ground. and Do not give up any ground. Do not compromise your faith. Paul tells us in Colossians there that we have died and our life is now hidden in Christ, in God. You think about what we do, what we say, where we go. Our life is in Christ which is in God, and yet we compromise our faith. It says that we're to have put our minds, set our minds on things above, not on things below. Is Satan tempting you that way? Are you playing fast and loose with the truth of God's word? Are you cutting corners in your faith? Are you compromising in areas that which you know is wrong? Jesus looks at Satan and he says, it is written. It is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Luke 10, 27 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Anyone, if you've got anything else left, love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew tells us, 6.33, he says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not the God, not the, not the world's kingdom, the world's stuff. 
but his kingdom, his righteousness. And it says all these things will be given to you as well. You see, God loves you. We don't have to compromise our faith. God knows what's best for us. God will give us what's best for us. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He did the right thing for the right reason. Third temptation is a temptation of fear. 9 through 11, the devil led him up to Jerusalem. Had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands that you won't even strike your foot against a stone. Here's Satan. Satan taking scripture. Jesus told him twice, it is written. Satan comes back and says, it is written. Oh, you know scripture? I know scripture. But Satan takes it out of context. Satan twists scripture. Something that's very dangerous to do. Satan, he, he twists this scripture. He does it very well. You know, is fear holding you back from a journey with God? Fear is one of the enemies of the faith. Fear is a poison. It's a poison that paralyzes us. Fear robs us from the truth. Keeps us imprisoned in a false state of mind. It can demotivate us. It can suck the life right out of us. It can destroy our relationship with God. Fear can be very, very destructive. Do I think that he led him up? Do I think Jesus was fearful standing on top of that temple looking down a hundred foot or so, hundred, whatever it was? I don't think he was fearful at all. No. Jesus wasn't afraid. Wasn't afraid of Satan at all. It's the other way around. It's the very reason Satan's trying to do all he can to knock him off track. God was not fearful. But you know what? It was Satan that brought up this scripture. And what Satan took out of context was Psalm 91. Psalm 91. You know, you and I don't have to live in fear. We're thankful that God is here to protect us from fear. I don't think Jesus was fearful at all. I don't think he was scared of heights at all. We live in this world to where there are things that are frightful for us. Scripture says that we hear of wars and rumors of wars and we we see disease and, and, and kills uh, millions of people. We just walking through a pandemic here, not in our little town or our state, not in, 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 our, uni- not in our United States, but the entire world has been in a tailspin over this virus. And it has scattered our people. It has put our people in isolation. We're not called to be isolated. Is it real? Absolutely it's real. But there's something else that's real and that's the love of God. 
and the protection of God. And I think Satan uses this fear. We buy into the lies of of Satan many, many times and it paralyzes us. It stops us from doing what we know is right. Since Satan brought up this scripture, let's look at it. Psalm 91. Thank you, Satan, for bringing this up. We're going to look at it. Maybe you've never studied it. We're going to this morning. We're going to just look at it. Let's just read it. I'll read it. You listen. Follow along. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plagues that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand may fall at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you. Here's where he took it out of context. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Listen to these last eight promises here. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue you him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. And will I, will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? We've got a God that loves us. We've got a God that promises to protect us. Those that, that, that call Him and take Him as their refuge. God will take care of us. God doesn't want us to live in fear. Listen, Psalm 56, 3. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. God is worthy of our trust. Amen. He's worthy of our trust. And we might say that fear is a misplaced trust. Scriptures tells us whatever time of the day, whether it be noon or night, that God will protect us. Whether we lay down to sleep at night or whether we walk under the sun, God's shadow will always be with us, shielding us from danger. As I read that, I can remember I can remember walking with my son one day, walking. It was hot. It was hot as it could be, man. I don't know if we were working. I don't know if we were hunting. I don't know if we were fishing. I don't know what we were doing, but it was hot. And I was walking, and I could see my boy. He was just a little dude, and he was just doing all he could to stay step for step with me. And, and I thought, man, what's he doing? Look at him. And he finally said, hey, Dad, look at me. Look at me. I'm staying in your shade. And, and I thought about that. That's exactly what God does for us. He protects us. We stay in His shade. One of the songs we sang just just sung about that. 
Stay in the shade of the Almighty. Listen, we don't live by fear. We live by faith. Scripture tells us, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And I thought to myself, how many times is that in the Scriptures? So I, I studied. I went to looking at every... No, I didn't. I said, uh... How many times does it say, do not be afraid in the Bible? Bleep. 365 times. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. One for every day of the year. Every day you wake up, God says, don't be afraid. Take courage. Be strong. Do not be afraid. I'm here. I'm with you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our requests to God. Take those fears to God. Lay them at His feet. I learned when I had heart disease, when I had a heart attack, when I had heart bypass, there wasn't nothing I could do about this. You know what? This ain't my problem. This is God's problem. I lay it at God's feet. God's promise was, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus did the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Jesus defeated Satan as a man. He had the same spiritual resources that we have today. He had the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he had the power of God's Word. Same thing that we have today. Jesus looked at him and he said, Hey, don't put the Lord your God to a test. We don't need to test God. We just need to trust God. Amen? When the devil had finished all of his tempting, he said it left him until a more opportune time. The devil don't stay gone long, guys. He kept on tempting and kept on tempting. We, don't, we need to remember it didn't come easy for Jesus. doesn't come natural for Jesus to be good. He did it as a man. But he did it for you and me. And he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He deliberately did what was right for the right reason. As we think about what is good, how do we express what's good? What are some tangible ways that we can do what's right for the right reason? Let me give you four ways. First is, I think we can express our goodness by being forgiving by being forgiving. We're living in a world today, our world is not very forgiving. If we're not careful, we will fall right into that same temptation, that same trap. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says that if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men and their sins, your Father will not forgive you, your sins. Kind of frightening verses. 
Because they say that if I'm not forgiving, then I will not be forgiven. What they say is, is that if you are not forgiving, you will not be forgiven. If we go around holding grudges, then we will not receive the forgiveness of God. Because it's being blocked by that unforgiving spirit. We need to forgive others. You may be holding on to unforgiveness right now. And I can almost promise you, you're the only one that it's hurting. Others maybe don't even know it. We need to let it go. First step to displaying our fruit of goodness is to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. We need to become forgiving people just as God forgave us. God is a forgiving God. Second thing is we need to express our goodness in purity. Proverbs 15, 26. It says, The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but those of pure are pleasing to Him. Those that are pleasing to Him. Proverbs 22, 11, He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for a friend. Psalm 24, 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul or an idol to swear by what is false, he will receive blessings from the Lord. You see, we express our goodness by being morally pure. There's something else that is kind of countercultural today. Much of our culture does not just embrace purity anymore, but impurity. Culture's constantly telling us it's okay. It's okay, everybody's doing it. It's all right. Our enemy has desensitized us to what is true and what is right and what is pure. Just in the last couple of weeks, I've read a couple of articles. Yeah, and I know, what do you believe about stuff you read? Uh, maybe <laughs> believe nothing to what you read and have what you hear, right? Uh, but some of the most popular actors in Hollywood said that they have an open marriage. I know that that's nothing new. But what seems to be new is that they seem to have a freedom just to say that and put it on media and put that out there. Why? Because it's okay. One quote said that they love each other. They love their spouse so much that they didn't want to keep them as a prisoner in the marriage. Are you kidding me? They loved them so much, they give them the freedom to go outside of the marriage to have other relationships. Another was quoted to say, marital unfaithfulness is okay as long as no one gets hurt. That's, that's, that's absurd. For the child of God, there's this, it's an impossibility in a marriage. It's an impossibility. 
I have found out that that in my marriage that it doesn't just take me and my wife, but it takes the Lord Jesus Christ to be in the center of that marriage. My wife knows that she's not first in my life, she's second. We both put Jesus Christ at the top. We're both here at the bottom. And as we get closer to Jesus Christ, we become closer to one another. All the way, all the way, all the way. And I'm telling you, when it happens, it breaks the heart of God. The Bible doesn't say that for the believer. We've got to be a pure person. Keeping our life pure before God. David cried out to God, create in me, oh God, God, create in me a pure heart. Give me good thoughts. Give me pure thoughts that please you. Give me pure words that please you. Give me right motives. Give me right actions. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God. We need to be pure. We need to express our goodness, a third thing, through graciousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10. That the Lord is compassionate and gracious. That he is slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's a gracious God. A gracious person is one who has the heart of compassion. The one who looks around and, and sees others that are suffering. Sees others that needs help. Just the way that God saw us. And when we see that, we reach out and we help and we do whatever we can. Psalm 116.5 says that the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Listen, that is a testimony of our God's goodness. Exodus 34.6 says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth. What holds us back from being gracious holds us back from, from being merciful to others. Could be that there have been times that we've been gracious to others. They weren't thankful. We may have had compassion on others. There may have been no one have ever known what you have done. You may have never heard a thank you from any of them. But I want you to know there's a promise. And that promise is that when you're gracious and good to others, one day you'll hear the voice of God himself 
And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And that'll be all the recognition we need. The last thing is we express our goodness through generosity. See, 1 John 3 says, How great is the love of the Father that He has lavished on us. So much love that we can't even receive it all. We can't contain it all. Our God is a giving God. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And He gives and He gives and He gives and He continues to give. If we're to participate in the goodness of God, guys, we need to become generous. We should give cheerfully. We're not just talking about our money and our finances. We need to give our time, talents, and treasures. We give ourselves wholly to God. We should give because God has given us so much. We give just because we love giving to God. Someone has once said that you never look more like God than when you're giving. We don't need to to give out of guilt. Someone else said, don't, don't give till it hurts. Give till it quits hurting. We give because it's the right thing to do. We give out of a generous heart. When we do, expresses that beautiful fruit of goodness in our lives. I think about John and Emmy. As he stood here and he shared that dollar dollar ministry. I was going to say dollar day, but it was their dollar day ministry. People were arguing over 30 cents a pound for potatoes. Six or eight families there all together. And he says, okay, everybody gets two pounds. They couldn't believe it. He just paid the money to the man right then and there. That's the goodness of God. They saw the goodness of God. They experienced the goodness of God. They got their potatoes and what did they do? They said, are you a Christian? They knew before they asked he was a Christian. But it opened up the door for him to share about his loving good God. That's why he did that. Ahead of us in Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. Pastor will be here in a few weeks, but it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for we at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. December the 12th, we're going to have an opportunity to give to our international missions offering. Yes, that does take our finances. We're coming into the month of giving month where we celebrate our Lord and Savior's birth. And we give gifts to many folks. Why don't we put God on our list? Why don't we give to Him first? Why don't we set the standard maybe by what we give others, by what we give God? Standard meaning 
we give God the most. I believe he's worth it. We express our goodness by giving the way God's given to us. This morning, after we've said all that we've said about goodness, let me just say that goodness will never get you into heaven. We'll never be good enough to get to heaven. Getting to heaven is only by the grace and the mercy and the sacrifice that God has given. You see, it is by grace through faith that we're saved. I'd be doing a disservice if I just left you here, sent you out to try to be good. Some of you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins for eternal life. You may be like the rich young ruler. Ask what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? If that's you, Jesus' answer to the rich young ruler let him know that his goodness was not enough. He told him, and he tells us this morning, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Now surrender your life to me. You may have never been born again. You may have never asked Jesus Christ into your life. This morning's for you. God's brought you here for a reason. You may have thought it was for another reason. Let me encourage you this morning. Why don't you do what's right? At the right time for the right reason. That's say yes to Jesus Christ. You see, it's your choice. God is good. You're not. But you can be. If you follow Christ and you submit to His leadership in your life. You can do the right thing this morning. You can do the right thing. Our praise team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. Word of God's been spoken. Spirit is moving. Spirit is convicting. Let me just encourage you. Say yes to Jesus and do the right thing. Stand with me this morning. As we sing, you come. You come. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus this morning.